This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible want to turn there, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, the verses will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you don't own one, there's some Bibles in the back. Um, Mike is standing right next to them and would be glad to grab one for you. Um, and so uh, just let him know and he will gladly deliver one personally to you. Uh, so today we're wrapping up uh, just kind of a, a series, a recap on who we are as a church. Uh, if, you're, if you're new and you're checking things out and you're like, who, who are we? What is this church? What are they about? Um, that's what we've been talking about. Next week, we are starting a four-part series on humility. Um, and so uh, we, I'm, I'm pumped to, to go at that. I'm also slightly nervous. Uh, and so we, we're convinced, though, that uh, humility is, uh, as Andrew Murray writes in his book, it is the only soil in which the graces of God grow. Um, if we are prideful, then God is actively in opposition to us. And if we are humble, then the grace of God is given to us uh, to, to grow in the grace that he provides. And so uh, we're convinced that humility uh, is God's glory and our good. And so we're going to spend four weeks talking about that. Uh, then just to give you a heads up, uh, we're going we're to go through the book of Jonah. And then we're in December, which is wild to think about. Um, and, and so that kind of wraps out the semester. If you're like, where are we going next? There you go. That's the plan. Um, and then, then we'll get into the spring. And I think we know where we're going there, but... I don't want to jump the gun in case God changes things on us there. So uh, anyways, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're going to wrap up the series on, on, on who we are as a church. We are ALC. And so uh, just to, to recap, uh, we are here for one purpose, and that's to lead people to life in Jesus. Um, every single one of us is wanting to make the most out of life, and, and we can grab hold of all sorts of things that we think will do that, but only Jesus will truly satisfy only Jesus is, is what will never let us down and never fail. And so we want to lead people to Christ, to, to find life in Jesus and to increasingly live life in Jesus. And so then the question is, how are we going to do that? As a church, and if this is your church home, um, it, it's not just no, like, how, how is Austin life? But it's how am I? Like, what am I going to do to lead people to life in Jesus? And there's four key words that we say, um, abide, invite, share, and build. Uh, first, we have to abide in Christ. Um, for apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what John 15 says. So much of where things fall short for us, so, so much for why we, we want to have more in our faith, we want to go and grow in our faith, but we just don't, is because we're not abiding in Christ. We are trying to do things on our own strength, and that is not going to go well for us. Uh, and so first, we abide in Christ. We're filled with his strength to then go and invite people into our lives. Uh, we talked about that last week, that there's always an open seat at the table. Uh, Jesus always had room for someone, anyone, to come and explore who he is. Uh, and so we are called to invite people into our lives. Then we want to share the gospel. We want to verbally tell people how they can find life in Jesus. That, that Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead. Um, not just so that we can have a book that, that we read, but so that we can genuinely have our sins forgiven and given new life with God today and for all of eternity. Um, we have to tell people that. No one is just going to see us live our lives and know that, that God became flesh and lived among us and then died for our sins and rose from the dead, and if by faith we trust him, we're, we're made right. Like, no one is just going to see our lives and put all that together. At some point, we have to verbally say, here's how you can have life in Jesus. And then we're going to build one another up 
to love and follow Jesus in obedience. We're going to commit to doing this together. And so um, that's what we're talking about today, building one another up um, to love and follow Jesus in obedience. Um, on our own, it's just, it's not going to happen. Like our ceiling is really low uh, for if, we, if we go at this alone. And so we've got to build one another up. Uh, and so let's, let's pray again, ask for God's um, spirit to speak to us through Ephesians 4, um, and then we'll, we'll read through it and we'll talk through it together. Holy God, there are many, many voices that we would hear throughout the day. Um, this morning alone, there are many voices and messages and, and thoughts that we've had, um, God, even that we've, we've had in our, of our own, like the, the, our own words, God, and we need to hear your voice and your words above all of them. And so would you, Holy Spirit, move out distractions? Would you fix our eyes on you, um, that we would know you, that we would walk in you? It's in Christ we ask this. Amen. So next weekend, um, Saturday, Miles starts T-ball. Um, he is by far the studliest T-ball player out there. Um, I'm just saying. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for that to, to see him play T-ball again. Anyone else play baseball or YMCA sports growing up or any sports? Group participation? Come on, hold it, hold it high. Don't, don't give me this thing where you're like, I can't really. Like, hold it up there. Let's see it. Yeah, okay, sweet. Um, if not sports, maybe, maybe you're in a band growing up or theater. Anybody ever do theater? I mean, that is a lot of time commitment. I would love to be in a play one day. I'm, I love it. It's a ton of time. It's incredible. Um, so what happens on your, on your sports team, in, in the play, in the band, in the, in, you know, whatever it is, with your job even, um, what happens if someone in the department doesn't do their part, right? Like what, what, what happens if the offensive line doesn't block? You, you get what happens to A&M. Like it doesn't go well. Um, what what happens if the wind instruments don't play in the, in the orchestra, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not going to go. So you, you walk in there and the person in the theater with you doesn't give their line, right? Like it's incredibly awkward. awkward. Everybody suffers. Like the organization, um, what happens even if it's not a lead role? What if the accounting department doesn't pay the bills, right? Like the the lights go out. Like we don't, we don't get to move forward in the organization. So if if everybody doesn't play their part, no, no matter if it's a, it's a front role or the back office role or if it's, you know, opening the curtains for act two or whatever, right? Like if everyone doesn't play their part, the organization, um, the, the team, whatever we're going for doesn't actually get to where we're trying to go. Right? We're, we're not going to win games. The, the play will not go on, right? The, the organization will go bankrupt. Like if we don't all do our parts in those things, then it's going to suffer, Everybody in that organization, on that team, in that band, it's, it's not going to go well. It's going to suffer. And that is the same thing within the church. That if we don't all do our part, then, then the church will suffer. And the people within the church will suffer. That if we don't all come in here and, and do our part, then, then the church will suffer. You, you are not meant to be a Christian alone. Like, yes, we're all special and precious and individuals, and, and everybody is unique just in, in how they are, but, but Jesus, as much as he loves you, did not come simply to die on the cross for only your sins 
and, and rise only that, that you would be saved. He came to gather a family, a church, a diverse, multi-generational body of every tongue and tribe and nation that all people would bow down and worship him. It's not meant to be one person. He came to build the church. And the point Paul is making here in Ephesians 4 that we'll see as we read is that we are all meant to work together to build one another up in faith. And if we don't all do our part, the church suffers and the people of the church suffer. That's Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 4. So let's, let's read it here together. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Paul, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he, gives, he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God that he has given to us, his church. And, and Paul is writing here, and the goal, the purpose that Paul is saying is that we are to grow up into Christ. And it takes all of us doing our part for that to happen. That, that is the end goal. It, we, we see multiple times in this passage, Paul kind of pointing to the, the end goal, the purpose that we are aiming towards. So you see in verse 1, right? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That, that if we've trusted Christ, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We are to represent Christ well. We see over here in verse 12 through 14 that he equips the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed about. And we see in verse 15, we speak the truth in love. Why? So that we may grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Paul's point, if you summed up this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's point is that we would grow up in Christ, that we would not stay children, that we would not stay immature, that we would, we would grow up and we would be who God designed us to be, that we would grow into the measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Romans 8 says that God has predestined us toward this end to be conformed into the image of his son. So if you're wondering, what is my purpose as a Christian? What, what is God's design for me? If you're, if you're sitting, you're thinking, what, what's the end goal? God's end goal for each one of us is that we would increasingly look like Jesus. That the words we speak would sound like Jesus. That, that the actions we have would be like Jesus. That the way we treat people would treat people the way that Jesus treats people. We are meant to grow up into Christ. Healthy things grow. Simply put, healthy things grow. If something stops growing, then, then it's no longer healthy. And we are to grow up in Christ. Look, we, we have four kids I, I love them all dearly, some maybe more than the others. Just kidding, I love you all the same, right? We, we have four kids, and, and for them to maintain health would mean that they continue to grow, right? Physically, that they're going to grow physically. If their growth stops, then something is wrong. Emotionally, that, that, that their frontal cortex would continue to develop, and emotionally, um, they would grow into emotionally well-rounded and stable adults, Right? As, as just con con contributors to society, at some point, I want them to move out of the house and get a job and then support me, right? Like for the roles to flip and for them to take care of us, right? Spiritually, I don't want them to stay as they are, right? So if, if 20 years from now, you see my kids and they're still acting like they're 12 or 9 or 7 or 5, that, that's a problem, we go out to dinner and my 25-year-old kid is acting like a five-year-old, throwing a fit because they didn't get the mac and cheese they wanted or they wanted chicken fingers and stuff, right? Like, you're going to look and you're going to go, something's gone wrong here, right? A am I right? You see an adult, man, and they're just splashing around in the kiddie pool. And you're like, hey, time out. It's time for you to move out of the kiddie pool, right? Because healthy things are designed to grow, and yet so often... Spiritually, there are a ton of adult children. Spiritually, there are a lot of adult children who have been Christians for 5, 10, 20 years and have the spiritual maturity of a toddler. And Paul is saying, we have to grow up into Christ. I mean, can, can I just, it is a problem. And men, can I speak to you? It is a problem among men. We've got a ton of adult children who are boys trapped in a man's body, and it is a shame. We went to Ignite this year, the incoming freshman at UT. We got 58 contacts. Nine of them were guys. Do you know how many of them responded to my text messages or Nick's text messages? How many, Nick? Zero. Zero. And that's across the board in the church because I, actually, I don't know why. But there are a lot of boys trapped in a man's body, and we need men. We, we have to grow up into Christ. We, we can't keep acting like children. And, and that's Paul's point here, and, and that's for men and women. It's just, I don't know why, but there's a shift where, where the women are leading the way and the men are acting like boys. And so we have to grow up into Christ. That is his end goal is that for every one of us, we would grow up and stop acting like children spiritually. And we'd be mature and reach the fullness of what Christ has for us. What's our motivation for that? 
is it because mom and dad told us to? Is it because, you know, religion, the culture says, hey, you got to be a good person? Like, what's our motivation for growing up in Christ? Paul says the motivation that we have is the gospel. So if you look at verse 1, he starts with this cause and effect word, I therefore. Therefore, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, you've got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? It's, it's connecting. It's a cause and effect word. So the effect we see is that we grow up in Christ. Well, what causes you and I to grow up in Christ? Like, what is the cause to that effect? And Paul says that it is the gospel of Christ. In Romans 1, the gospel is the power for salvation. It is only through the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that my sins and your sins can be forgiven and we can be made right again. But the gospel is also the power for our sanctification. It is the power that takes us from being children in faith to grown-ups in faith. And so what is the gospel? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 are some of the best verses for what the gospel is. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let that sink in for a second. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were spiritually dead before God. I mean, dead things are not that lovely, right? Like, dead things are not that impressive. We don't typically want to be near dead things. We don't, we don't want to pull them close to us, right? Like, I'm, it's not crude. It's just real. Dead things are not that lovely, and we were dead in our sins before God. We had done nothing to clean ourselves up. We were actively opposed to him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he, he loved us, because of the great love that God loved dead people, that he loved you and me, because of his incredible, unrelenting, steadfast Love, because of that great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The gospel is that we were dead in our sins, but God's love is so amazing, so steadfast, so relentless, that he moved near to us and made us alive by faith in Christ. That we did nothing to make ourselves alive, that we didn't breathe life into ourselves, that God breathed life into us in Jesus that he did all the work necessary for us. And because of that, we're made new and we're called to walk in good works and to grow up in Christ. The message of the Bible is that the gospel changes everything. And if we are spiritually stunted in our growth, if we are apathetic to growing up in Christ, the Bible would tell us the reason is that the gospel is just not that amazing to us anymore. That we just lost sight of the fact that God loves us when he never should have loved us. 
I don't know about y'all, but my love typically has a ceiling. Right? Like there comes a point when my love can probably max out for you. And yet God's love has no ceiling. And it is steadfast and relentless. And this should compel us to move and live differently. And if we are not compelled, then we have to wonder, what is it about the gospel that's just not that amazing right now? What am I missing that that I'm not compelled, therefore, because of the gospel, to go and to grow up in Christ? This is Paul's motivation. This is what he says. And so I I just would ask you to consider, is this true of your life? Have you been made new by the gospel? Have you received new life in Christ? And is it what is driving and compelling you? Is it the fuel that is motivating you? And if not, the great news about the grace of God is that today we can confess and repent of that and return and allow him to fill us up by his grace. It's the great news of God's love for us. This is the motivation for why we grow up in Christ is because of what Christ has done for us. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Together. We grow up in Christ together. The gospel is what motivates us, and then together we build one another up in Christ. Jump jump to the end of the passage again, verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, right? Like, that's the end goal, right? If you haven't got that yet, that's our end goal, is to grow up into the image of Jesus. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, what's the effect? Makes the body grow up. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The, the effect of us growing up in love, right, growing up into Christ, that's the end goal. What was the cause that Paul referenced in verse 16? When each part is working properly. So the church will not grow to all that it is designed to be if you and I sit on the sidelines and are actively contributing to the growth of the church. My, my growth into Christ for, for whatever reason, God's design, my growth into, into Christ is partly dependent on each of you playing your part. Like my ceiling will hit its limit if we don't all come together and play our part, and so will yours. God's design that your growth is partly dependent on me doing my part. And it's partly dependent on the people around us. We cannot passively consume and think that we're actively going to contribute to the growth of each other around us. And yet that's how the church is designed. That's how so many people approach the church, is is a passive consumer. The problem we have with, with living this out is individualism. Gosh, it is rampant. Where we approach everything with, okay, what does this do for me? Like the, the center of the world is, is, is self, and we look at everything, work or people or food or, or whatever, and we're like, okay, how is this fuel feeding into me? How is this benefiting me? How is this lifting me up? That is so much the culture of our world, right? What is this going to do for me? And we bring it into the church. How, what is this going to do for me? Is the band going to sing the songs that I've really been liking lately? And if not, I bet you there's a church down the road that is. 
So then we'll, we'll bounce over there because they're singing the songs we like, and they've got a drum kit. I mean, they're just killing it. they got an electric violin, right? And they're doing all those things. And so we're like, that is it. Until our moods and our preferences change, or they stop singing the songs that we like, and because church is what it does for me, well, now let's go find a new one. And, and we move on, and then we move on, and we move on, all the while we are damaging and hurting the bride of Christ. And so hear me, I, I, I love you, and if this is your church, make it your church. And if it's not with as much love and grace as I can tell you, go to the church that's going to be your church home. Because they need you. And if this is your church home, we need you. And we're only going to grow up to who Christ has called us to be when each of us is doing our part. But we approach so many things with, okay, what is this going to do for me? What am I going to get out of this? And the question we need to be asking is, what am I going to put into this? What am I going to give into this? Are you going to come on a Sunday if you're feeling like it? Or are you going to come because God is worthy of worship and the people around you need you here so that we can be built up in Christ? Am I going to go to community group because, ah, you know, I'm feeling good today, the week's been good, I don't feel overstressed? Or, or am I going to go because there are people in that group that need me present so that I can help build them up in Christ? We've got to shift our approach to the church from a consumeristic, individualistic perspective to an active participation, active giving of oneself for the good of the other. We have to, or we're not going to grow up in Christ. It matters. It matters. And let me just speak something briefly to parachurch ministries. So I love the parachurch ministry. The parachurch ministry is a faith-based ministry designed to come alongside of and support the local church, oftentimes in a specialized way. They can lock their efforts into one focus where the church is spread out. And so the, the parachurch is meant to come alongside of the local church and work together to build up the body of Christ. And so examples are Salvation Army, um, International Justice Mission, Campus Ministries like FCA, Young Life Crew, Prison Fellowship Ministries, um, feeding, the, feeding the Hungry Ministries. So all of those different things are focused, specialized ministries that are meant to work in partnership with the local church. They are not the local church, though. They cannot be a substitute for the diverse, multi-generational body of the local church. Heaven is not a specific demographic. Heaven is every tongue, tribe, and nation, all shapes and sizes, and, and made up of all ages of people. I don't know if we'll have age or not, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's a diverse body of people. And parachurch ministries focus on a specialized area. They're meant to work together. And so if you have the time and the energy to, to give to that, awesome. Use your gifts there. But it, it can't take the place of the local church. It, because, because your church, the bride of Christ, needs you. And you need it. And so they've got to work together in that way. And so the only way we're going to be built up in Christ is together. Is if we all commit to do our part in the local representation of the church. Yes, there's one church. There's one bride. But there's local representations. Just like there's a church in Ephesus and there's a church in Galatia and there's a church in Corinth and there's a church in Rome. It's the local church that represents the body of Christ. But yes, there's one church. But if you're a Christian, you're called to be a part, an active, committed member of a local church. The New Testament wouldn't understand not. 
It just, it just doesn't make sense. We've got to do it together. We've got to partner together. So then if we go back, we see the heart that Paul gives us, kind of the, the, the character. Verse 2, we're, we're meant to build one another up together in Christ. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Man, we could do an entire series just on these words. And it's partly why we're doing an entire series on humility. Because the only way we're going to build one another up is when we turn our focus outward rather than inward. And that's what this is talking about. Humility is, is not, think, C.S. Lewis says, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Love that quote. So if we're going to build one another up in humility, we've got to think of ourselves less and of others more. We've got to think of the glory of God more. Right? And so Jesus is the ultimate model of that, as he put on humility so that we could then be lifted up to the glory and honor of God. We're only going to build others up when we humble ourselves. Otherwise, we spend way too much time thinking about ourselves. We've got to put on humility. We've got to put on gentleness. This word is used to describe how we live out humility. So gentleness, um, it's not being harsh or rude or defensive, particularly in a tense situation. Look, we are, I mean, we're all messed up. We're all broken people. Like, none of us is going to be perfect. And so spend enough time with each other, and you're going to run into conflict, Right? Spend enough time with your roommates or your family or your neighbors, and you're going to run into conflict because we're people. And so we're called then to be gentle with one another, not rude, not harsh, not defensive, but to be gentle and tender and caring. Man, how many conflicts would de-escalate instantly if instead of swinging back, we came with gentleness, right? If we're going to build one another, we've got to put on humility, we've got to put on gentleness, patience, or another way to say it, don't grow weary of doing good. That's what Paul says in Galatians 6. Doing good, enduring with people, especially people that are difficult and kind of press our buttons, we get tired of it. And he's like, put on patience. Don't grow weary of doing good. I mean, I think about this word patience, and, and I struggle with it immensely. But my gracious, if God wasn't patient with me, holy smokes. I'd be, I'd be done, right? If, if God wasn't patient with you, think about that. If he wasn't patient with the number of times we're like, here I am again, shoot, right? But he's patiently gracious and merciful with us. We've got to be patient with one another. We're all a work in progress. None of us have arrived. We've got to bear with one another in, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I, I love that Paul uses these words, bear with, and, and eager to maintain, because unity is not easy. Right? Like building one another up in love is not easy, but it's a commitment that we've got to resolve to be a part of. To bear with one another, to maintain the unity, and the reason is because we are a picture of the unified God. We're a picture of the unified God. That's what he says. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, right? Like we are meant to be a picture of the Father, Son, Spirit unified as one. You don't see any separation. They're so close. They're so unified, and yet we live so disunified. We're oftentimes a poor picture of the unified God. And so we have to maintain unity because we are a representation of our God. 
What picture of God are we telling when we can't love each other? What picture of God are we telling when we can't be patient with one another? What picture of God are we telling when we can't be humble with one another? This isn't just Paul saying like, hey, this is some good things to do. This is to be a picture and representation of God. That's why it matters so much. So we're called to grow up in Christ, every one of us. And you need me for that, and I need you. We're called to do that together, to all play our part in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. We don't get to skip people. We don't get to omit people. Every one of us bearing with one another to maintain unity in the spirit. And we're all called to use our unique gifts for that purpose. So he says here again, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us. The grace of God was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Christ has given each one of us a unique set of skills and gifts to be used in the body to build the church up. Each one of us. The, the leg in the human body is meant to be the leg, right? If the leg tries to operate as the arm, that's going to be awkward. Like you can't grab stuff. Well, some some people can with their toes. That's, that's a whole different story, right? But if the leg tries to operate as the arm, like that's going to go bad, right? If, if my kidney tries to operate, I don't know, as my elbow, like, so it's, it's, it's silly, but we all get it in the human body, right? Like each part matters, and it matters to function as God designed it to function for the overall growth and well-being of the body. If any of those individual parts is like, oh, I'm not going to do this, right? It's not going to go well for the human body. And so we are each meant to collectively come together and use our unique gifts to build the body up into Christ. And so every one of you, you're like, I don't know what to bring to the table. God has designed that you bring something to the table. That's his purpose. That's his design. And so for us to not actively contribute the gifts that God's given us, that's just us telling God, hey, I got this, but I don't need to do what you tell me to do. He has designed us to do that. To use your gifts. And if you can sing, sing. And if you're great at welcoming people in, then welcome people in. If your mind is incredible at administration and organizing things, then for the love of God, help me, because I'm not. Right? Like, so, I mean, there's all kinds of ways where, where we come together and we use the gifts that God has given us to build up his body, to build up the church. First Corinthians 12, if you want to read it, we don't have time to read through it right now, but it gives a list of some of these gifts. My best encouragement for you, just, just get out there and try something. Right, like just, just get out there. I thought at one point, like I'd like to play soccer, and then I realized I, I can't play soccer. Like that's not for me, you know? Like I try to use my hands, and only one person gets to do that in soccer apparently. It's weird, you know? And so like... Get out there and try it. It's okay. And if you're like, that was terrible, then that's not your gift. That's all right. It's somebody else's gift. Go, go try something else. Ask other people around you, like, hey, what do, you, what do you think I'm gifted in? I promise you those people that know you most probably know better than you do. Like, they can probably see more clearly, like, you're really good here, and you have no business going over there. So ask other people, like, hey, I, what, what do you see as my gifts that I can contribute to the church? We each have unique gifts that we're called 
to use and to build one another up. We're to grow up in Christ. We're to live our lives in Jesus. We're to lead others to life in Jesus. We have to abide in Christ ourselves. We've got to invite people in. We've got to share the gospel. And then we have to build one another up. We have to actively contribute to the growth and well-being of his church. That's the only way that we are going to live life in Jesus and lead others to life in Jesus. We cannot neglect that. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.